0: Hello world, welcome to the Mile High Five Podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host.
1: I'm Doug Cunnington.
0: Doug, what are we going to talk about today? We're going
1: to remember uh, Charlie Munger. So it's kind of a special day today, our first live stream. Kind of sad news, but it's something a little bit different. So that's the topic.
0: Yeah, it's sad, but I think it's also happy news too, which I'll get to a little bit later. But yeah, what, what do you know about Charlie Munger, Doug? He uh, he worked with Warren Buffett,
1: so you know that's the main thing I know about Charlie Munger. Now, let us know in the chat before we get rolling here where you're from. All right, so we, we're doing our first live stream, so let us know where you're from, and let us know if you could hear us okay. So we're, we're pros, but it's the first time we've done a live stream, although I've done a few myself. But just let us know in the chat, and we're gonna probably circle back in a little while but yeah my my charlie munger knowledge is is quite limited i've only been really exposed to charlie via references from a lot of like books that i've read and honestly he's been coming up more and more in the last like two weeks in the content that i've been listening to so i literally picked up a book the other day um, so I haven't read the whole, whole thing yet, but I was like, Oh, I'm going to get into Charlie Munger. He sounds like my kind of dude. So yeah. What, what about you? I mean, he was
0: a big influence for you, right? Yeah. He's an interesting character and he is probably, he's, I won't say probably, he is my favorite investor of all time. Uh, everyone knows who Warren Buffett is, but I think Warren Buffett likes a spotlight a little bit. Charlie Munger preferred to be back in the shadows, but. So when I was young, I knew I wanted to invest, but I didn't know anything about it. So I started reading everything I could, and I really wanted to know how to invest and make money. And uh, I started coming across a lot of information that was kind of disturbing. It was, and I can't even remember the names for some of this stuff, but it was people looking at trends and pattern lines. And I think there was something called some kind of like cross, maybe a death cross or something like that. All these people looking at this data on investments. And the the thought I had was, this is kind of stupid. Why are you looking at these trends? This is short-term thinking. What you should be looking at, more than any number, more than anything, is the state of the underlying business. People aren't looking at the product this business is selling. They aren't looking at the leadership. Uh, They aren't looking at the moat this company has. And I found that not many people were thinking like that. But Charlie Munger was one of them. So when I started learning about him and reading about him, like, wow, this is a this is my kind of guy. Finally, someone who thinks in the same way I the same way I do, he's thinking about the business long term and not thinking about these stupid, silly numbers. Uh, there's a quote I'll get to a little bit later that was in the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter. So I was always a big fan of his. And uh, we went to the Berkshire meeting. We saw him this past year, which will now be the last meeting he was ever at. And, uh, yeah, who knew that would be the last time we saw him? But there it was. Do you remember when you first heard about Charlie? I don't think so. I think I had knew about him offhandedly, but I probably first started learning about him after we went to our first Berkshire meeting maybe a decade or so ago.
1: Okay. So, and he was kind of out of the limelight as much, right? I mean, obviously still a well-known person, but we all know Warren Buffett a little bit better, right?
0: Yeah. I think Warren Buffett likes to be on TV and, likes attention and Munger's a more of behind the scenes Munger likes to, he doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Between you and I,
1: like, would you be Charlie and I'm, I'm Warren or the vice versa? What do you think?
0: I think we both would be Charlie. <laughs> okay. I think
1: that sounds about right. Yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't know the answer to that que- question when I asked it. So you have a lot more knowledge. So this is really going to be like you telling some stories and stuff and y- How many different – or how many meetings did you go to for for Berkshire over in in Omaha, right? That's where they're at?
0: Yeah, I think we've been to five or six of them at this point. The first one was probably back around 2012, but I I had an interesting interaction with Charlie in 2014. Uh, So we went to the meeting, and at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, there's this big exhibition hall where they sell all this Berkshire merchandise and have all these displays. And I actually bought this book here that I'll talk about a little bit later. I'm showing the camera there for the YouTube audience. And what, what
1: What's the name of the book uh, for the people that are listening?
0: Yeah, this is called Poor Charlie's Almanac. It is, it's a big thing. You can read this or you can use it as a weapon to fend off an intruder. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I was in the second floor of the exhibition hall. I remember I was a little bit tired and there was less crowds up there. Everyone was down below where they had all the displays. And I'm standing there. And uh, this golf cart pulls up next to me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And, and I look over and there's Charlie Munger in the passenger seat. I'm like, oh my God, it's like Charlie Munger, uh, this billionaire guy, like five feet away from me. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? I, I quickly came to the answer in my head. I'm like, I don't want to do anything. Cause if you know how Charlie is, he's kind of, I don't want to say angry, but curmudgeonly, like no bullshit kind of person. If he doesn't like you or doesn't like what you have to say, he's going to tell you about it. And there's the old maxim, never meet your hero. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to observe him and uh, and see what happens and maybe try to get a picture, but not be obvious about it. The picture that you see on the live stream, you can see that, right, Doug, mm-hmm. is the one I actually took. So I'm looking at him, and then a bunch of other people saw that it was Charlie Munger. So they, they ran up to him, and one guy was like, hey, Charlie, Charlie, can we get a picture with you? And he kind of looks at the guy and says, I don't have time for that. And kind of a mean, angry voice and gets in the elevator, and that was it, so... I'm glad he told that guy that and not me because I would have been a little bit dis- disheartened, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. And how many people go to the the annual meeting?
0: Fifty to 60,000.
1: Wow. That's kind of crazy, right?
0: Yeah. It's a lot of people. Now,
1: if you... So, in, in that environment, that, that's pretty rough, right? You can't get, like, backstage passes, like, a concert or whatever, right? And these guys, they don't want to be hassled all day long, right? Correct. By a bunch of... <laughs>
0: Finance nerd, yeah, yeah.
1: So, let's say you were hanging out in Omaha, not during the meeting time frame, and you bumped into him, say, to McDonald's. He was perhaps uh struggling with a, the with a ordering the digital menu system. I, I've had trouble with it myself, right? And you bumped into him, you're not going to talk about finance. What would you say to Charlie if he was struggling? to order his uh, his meal at McDonald's.
0: You know, I'd probably help him, but then uh, this brings up another good story. So there is a lottery. If you go to the Berkshire meeting, you can draw a ticket and you can ask a question of Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger. And I've never seen anyone ask Charlie a question directly, but I, I, I was going to, I had a question all set for Charlie. And then Mindy's like, oh man, this would be so good. I like, I, I would really like that question. So I gave it to her. But if I would have gotten the ticket, if I would have been able to speak it, and honestly, I didn't want to, like 50,000 people, uh, people watching all over the world. I just don't want to do that. But the question I was going to ask is, uh, he's, he's talked a lot about some famous business leaders, like who he really admires, famous business leaders, famous um, politicians and people like that. I would have asked him, but, but he always talks about people in the past, like these old GE guys and people like that. I would have asked him who inspires him today. But I would have done it after I helped him order off the screen. Okay.
1: What do you think he would have ordered, by the way, if you just had to guess like what Charlie Munger would order?
0: Oh, probably. Definitely not anything tied. He probably would have got a regular Coke, maybe a Big Mac, or uh, n- not a Happy Meal. That- that's for kids. He wouldn't approve of that. Maybe a quarter pounder. I'll go with that. Quarter pounder, large fries, and maybe dessert too, like those fried apple pie things they used to have. Oh, yeah. Remember yeah, that?
1: Yeah. That makes sense. And I think... I think you're right he would get like a a good midwestern you know meal and i think it's amazing well i'll reel it back in here it's really cool that you took this photo and i texted you this is a you know we we did this at the last minute right you were coming over anyway we're recording and i saw that you posted this picture on your instagram and i was like shit, did you actually take that photo and this is one that you took on your phone. What year? 2014. Cool. That's really cool. That's it, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I could have got a lot closer one, but I kind of felt shy. I kind of want to, it feels kind of invasive, someone yanking out a camera. But when he got on the elevator, I'm like, this is my last chance. I'm kind of going kind to of do this discreet as possible. And by then, you can see the other guy in the picture taking photos. So everyone was doing it. I didn't feel so bad, but unfortunately, I did not have a better camera.
1: That's all right. Well, let's see. You have some notes here. Yeah. What was great about Charlie?
0: Yeah, so there's something I want to read. I think he's underappreciated, especially with Berkshire, but as a thinker in general. So this is something that Warren Buffett wrote Warren Buffett wrote in the 2014 letter. So Warren Buffett says, <coughs> excuse me. What most of you do not know about Charlie is that architecture is among his passions, though he began his career as a lawyer. With his time billed at $15 an hour, Charlie made his first real money in his 30s by designing and building five apartment projects near Los Angeles. Concurrently, he designed the house he lives in today. Some 55 years later, like me, Charlie can't be budged if he is happy in his surroundings. In recent years, Charlie has designed a large dorm dorm complexes at Stanford and the University of Michigan, and today, at age 91, he is working on another major project. So this is what I'm getting to. This is the important part. Warren Buffett goes on to say, from my perspective, though, Charlie's most important architectural feat was the design of today's Berkshire. The blueprint he gave me was simple. Forget what you know about buying fair businesses at wonderful prices. Instead, buy a wonderful business at a fair price. I don't know how much you know about Warren Buffett, but in the early days, he was a disciple of Ben Graham. So he was a value investor. They would try to find companies that were undervalued for for some reason and try to exploit that. So what Warren Buffett is saying here is Charlie flipped that on its, on its end and said, Hey, you're looking at this wrong. You need to find really good businesses and not worry so much about the price and not be so much of a value investor anymore, which is pretty crazy. Warren Buffett is basically here giving Charlie Munger full credit for what Berkshire Hathaway looks like today, the modern iteration of the company. And then
1: did you take that Carl, and do something with it in the way that you invest or, and it doesn't have to be like capital investment. It could be like the investment of your time or otherwise.
0: I think it was reinforcing for me because I've always been a growth investor buying tech companies in the early stages, like Amazon and the Google when the PE ratio is like 500 or a thousand, which is crazy. A normal PE is like, I think in the twenties now. But you buy these because you know it's well run. You know the people who run to care about it. And you know they've got a great product and a moat there. No one's going to be able to compete with them. So it gave me confidence to keep on doing what I was doing. And you, you buy those, those companies with the expectation that they're going to be something else someday.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. And Have you gone back and read a lot of the the various – letters over the years or have you read them all?
0: No, I've probably read like the past 15 or so. They're, they're kind of boring actually. There's little nuggets like this that I find interesting, but otherwise he's talking about Geico insurance for a couple pages and uh, I couldn't care less about insurance.
1: <laughs> it sounds like something ChatGPT can create a summary for me so I could just get the highlights, right? Yeah. I'm so lazy. All right. So, let's talk more about his investment philosophy. So, like you said, he was focusing on the business right not some of the other details that we get hung up on
0: yeah he wanted to find companies with a strong moat that you buy for decades you're not going to buy this company and think about selling it in one year or five years uh when i was at the conference a couple years ago he had my favorite investing quote of all time which i've never seen published online i looked for it but at the very end of the meeting, someone asked him, he's like, hey, Charlie, what do you think about the, uh, the short-term prospects of, of this company or this company? And, and Charlie's like, well, at Berkshire, we don't care about one-year returns, we don't care about five-year, and we don't even care about 10 years. We think in decades, we're, we're building momentum. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty incredible. They don't, that's not how most people think.
1: That's Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And you haven't seen that quoted out there? I have not. No. I think
0: he, I even tried to look for it on YouTube. I'll, I'll be able to find it long enough if I, uh, the meetings are on YouTube. But. Okay.
1: That's pretty, yeah, pretty amazing. And it does, it sort of shifts your focus from, yeah, trying to make a quick buck. It wouldn't be popular on like an Instagram reel. You know, people are like, ah, decades, it
0: takes too long. It would not. It, you might be able to make a little bit of money in the short term, but the way that big money is made is buying strong companies holding and holding on to them for the real long term. But those companies are pretty hard to find too. And the reason is they're not quantifiable. Like you can, It's easy to find what a PE ratio is or what current sales are and all that kind of stuff. But to look at the deep stuff like the quality of the management, the quality of the product, um, how the company is going to be able to, to transition if there's adversity and that type of stuff, it's all subjective and you can't, you can't, tie numbers to any of that. But if you can figure that stuff out, that's how you make the really big money investing.
1: And Rakesh mentions, our friend Rakesh mentions, um, he loves Charlie's one-liners. And I think he he was pretty well known for that. He's, he's pretty concise, a little bit, um, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, slightly aggressive, very certain for sure. But he's known for his one-liners, right?
0: Certainly, yeah. And he's unfiltered as well. I think he's compared cryptocurrency to rat turds many times, or maybe mouse turds. Some kind of turd. Charlie Munger loved the word turd, which you don't hear out of billionaire's <laughs> mouth very often.
1: Turds. Did did he cuss? Did you hear him cuss in anything, or did was turd the, the worst thing yeah, that he said?
0: Yeah, I th- I've never heard him drop the F-bomb, but he said the. It, sh word and damn like damn right is one of his famous quotes
1: was it when you were taking the photo
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i think he gave me a hand gesture at that time but it was a
1: yeah okay okay so (laughs) and then you have another note here i don't know if you want to hit that in the investment philosophy area
0: Um, which note was that? uh, Oh, it was,
1: uh, it was about, uh, cocaine. It looks like (laughs) Charlie was into cocaine.
0: No, it was uh, reading it wrong. He might've been, but not that I know of. It was this famous Coca-Cola example. So he talks about in this book, part, poor Charlie's almanac, how he would evaluate a business, how he looks at all the different strengths and weaknesses of the stain power. So he's got this big multi-page example of how he evaluates, Coke and how he knew it would be a good company to own long term. So if you want a window into his thinking, check that out. Very good.
1: All right. And just shout out to the folks that are joining us live. So if you have any, you know, stories or thoughts about Charlie Munger, put them in there. We may be able to read them on the air here and we're going to publish this episode on audio as well. So, we, you know, we're trying to do YouTube also, but we have a lot more listeners on the audio side. So, we are going to pull this and publish it later today. So, your thoughts will be on an episode if you share it in here in the chat, which we'll circle back around to shortly. So, let's move on to his life philosophy. And, you know, one interesting thing, not necessarily related to his life philosophy, but he did have, um, his career as a lawyer, and then he invested in real estate. It sounded like so he was, uh, you know, very experienced. And he actually he he was old enough. He he fought in World War Two, right, or at least served in in the war way back in the forties, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Do you have any details uh, from any of the research that you've done? Did that shape him in any way with with the war and such?
0: Uh not sure about that. He talks a little bit about it in some of the mental models in poor Charlie's Almanac, this big book here, but I'm not sure. I, th- I think it made him a little bit tougher. Like he said something like the, the kids I know who, one of his famous quotes is the kids I know who have harder lives turn out to be harder workers or something like that. So I think he appreciated the adversity and the strength that that gave him uh, yeah mm-hmm.
1: okay all right well let's talk about his life philosophy
0: yeah one thing that you that comes up over and over with charlie is always be learning always be reading books he's got a famous quote that said uh all my famous teachers are left right here on my bookshelf i learn more from these people that are dead than anything i've ever learned in a classroom uh, there's stories about him where he, i think he had a lot of kids where he's sitting there in the chair at like Thanksgiving, and he's reading a book, and these kids are like on top of him, like climbing over, him, but he's just reading this book completely ignoring them all. so I know that was a big uh, part of his life. But the other thing I liked about him is he's got another famous quote where he said something like, if uh even if you've believed something for the past eighty years, if someone presents you with a solid evidence why you shouldn't believe that you should instantly burn your original belief and go with the other thing. Uh, don't let your ego get in the way. Mm-hmm.
1: Very good. And the, the reading thing is, is very interesting and I'll, I'm going to layer on something. So he was speaking at the Berkshire meeting a few months ago, right? Yes. So he, he was like continuing to work until probably a few days ago something like that, right?
0: Yeah, there's an interview with him. I think Becky Quick, who was at the Berkshire interview, I think she's on CNBC. She did an interview with him like two weeks ago. Okay.
1: So 99, that's pretty old. And how old's
0: Buffett? He's in his 90s, maybe 92. I'm not sure.
1: So how much, or what are your thoughts on working that old he he could have retired early you know he could have been part of the fire community (laughs) but he kept working and he kept reading and he kept learning and challenging himself he was um you know very intellectually stimulated working with buffett so what are your thoughts around working almost till the day you die
0: yeah and becky quick Asked him. I watched the interview this morning, and she said, "Do you have anything left on your bucket list that you do or don't want to do?" And, and he said, "Well, a couple of years ago, I would have been happy to catch a 200-pound tuna, mm-hmm. but now my my body is too weak for that." But and and then she responded with something like, "Yes, you're too weak for that, but you still seem very busy. You're taking meetings all day. You've got all these engagements, lunches, and stuff like that." And and he said, "This is just how I like it. I, I love to be busy. I like to keep active." So I don't think this was work to him. This was just what he wanted to be doing. And that's probably a big part of why he lived to be 99 despite his poor diet. Right. Lifestyle. Yeah. And I, I think so
1: too, you know, keeping your mind, mind stimulated and learning new things constantly, I think is super important. So we do talk about like early retirement all the time, but if anyone knows you and they've seen you around, like you're, you're pretty busy, I'm a little bit busy, but I stay stimulated and interested in learning and, and doing different things all the time. So I, th- you know, seeing this, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, hopefully our genes are good enough and we stay away from cancer and all that kind of, you know, normal things that may take someone down. But like keeping your mind active is super important.
0: Yeah. If you take anything from Munger. Uh, watch him at the last Berkshire meeting and see how this 99 year old guy answers questions. Sometimes he's a little bit hard to understand and sometimes questions had to be repeated, but the guy is sharp. He could run numbers through his head and have novel thoughts. Like I know people half his age who are probably maybe a quarter of his age who could never be as eloquent or as, as thoughtful as Munger was in his nineties, which is just pretty crazy. But I think that's it. Never stop using your brain. Cause just like any muscle. once you stop using it, it goes away.
1: Yep. And, you know, I've seen it in, you know, some family members and other folks that maybe retire and then they just watch TV all the time. And maybe they don't have a good social network either. So, like, they're not stimulated socially, intellectually, and they're watching, you know, just reality TV or some nonsense. And they just kind of, atro- their brain atrophies, their body does, and they're not, you know, sort of active. Now, do you know if Charlie was, like, physically active at all? <laughs> was he uh, – did he get out and run the fi- – you ran the 5K or whatever, right?
0: Yeah. Is I, he a runner? I, I don't think Warren Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger – I don't think neither of them are physically active or ate well. One, one of the amusing things when you went to the annual meeting, Berkshire Hathaway holds a company called See's Candy. Sometimes you see their candy stores out west uh, or it's yeah, at yeah. the airport, right? Those, yeah. So, I don't think he had it at this past one, but at a previous one, they had this big box of peanut brittle, like right in front of him, and, and Cokes, not Diet Coke, re- regular Coke, but you could see Charlie just chowing down this peanut brittle, and you could hear him like chewing it over the microphone. So, this whole, <laughs> like 50,000 people are hearing Charlie Munger eat peanut brittle. So, yeah, I they kept their minds very active, but not their bodies, and they did not, um, I don't think they were into vegetables.
1: Okay. It's all trade-offs, you know? <laughs> It's trade-offs.
0: I guess if you had to choose one, uh, choose your mind. I mean, I'd rather have my mind than have my body. I mean, I'd rather have both, but if you had to pick.
1: Yeah. That is a tough one. I mean, I, I certainly enjoy eating and eating like unhealthy foods. I'll be honest. Yeah. I mean, I love that stuff. I also enjoy like being physically active too, but I guess it, you know, it worked for them. Obviously, Charlie was very successful, and I'm not in a position to give him advice for multiple reasons.
0: (laughs) I I do wonder what their genetics are. Warren Buffett is famous for saying, I think he goes to McDonald's every day for breakfast. Would would that be kind of weird? You're working the drive-thru like at 5 in the morning, and uh, I'm sure he's not driving. He's there in the passenger seat or the back, but there's Warren Buffett ordering his uh, egg McMuffin. I'm sure they – did they own some McDonald's? uh, I mean –
1: are they a part owner and they're like, oh, just trying to bump up the stock? Yeah. He's a smart dude, right?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think so. They should be based on how much you talk about it. And I, I know they own lots of Coke.
1: People shit on McDonald's, but it's, it's not bad. I mean, like, they're still like one of the best out there. And I know we're going to get a lot of flack <laughs> for that, but we're, um, Carl and I are not as sophisticated. I'm, I'm speaking for you a little bit. So correct me if I'm wrong, but McDonald's it's not that bad, right?
0: No, I eat there every, it's probably been a couple months, but uh, what's your favorite burger if you had to have one or, or, or favorite breakfast or both?
1: Oh man, uh, you know what? I didn't have anything queued up. I think probably just like a, a quarter pounder with cheese, like something standard like that. I'm, uh, I'm also a sucker if they have something on the, the display, if they're like, oh, we're, we're putting some extra stuff on here, like some cheddar and bacon. And by the way, we're taking off any vegetable, so no, no tomatoes, no lettuce, but more meat with nitrates. I'll check that out.
0: Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah, nitrates taste good. I've got a good McDonald's story real quick. So, so Mindy found out, we, we were talking about the apple pies before, and apparently all McDonald's have discontinued the fried apple pies, I think, except for one in Hawaii, which happens to have it. And our, our hotel was across from that. So Mindy's like, when we're here, we're walking across the street for that. And I never had one in my life. So that was the first- never. And maybe last fried apple pie. It was pretty good.
1: And I remember, you know, as a kid, like under 10, having like my birthday at McDonald's. And it was like such a treat. Yeah. It was amazing. And then back in college... Poor college kid, right? And they had the uh, 29 cent hamburgers. Do you remember this? Yes.
0: You had to wait like an hour at least where I went to school for them. Huge lines. People would order like 100 of them for their Fred house or whatever.
1: Yeah, I remember. I I think there was a limit or I only had $10. So I bought um, as many as I can get for 10 bucks with tax and then like saved them for probably a little too too long. It wasn't good, but I made it through. It probably made my stomach stronger in yeah. some capacity okay so what else about charlie's life philosophy here
0: yeah I, one of the things i appreciated about him and we alluded to this before is he was a no bullshit kind of person if he didn't like something or or like you he would just tell you like there was no 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 filter to him whatsoever and it just like an, an honest uh, i won't say nice guy he was curmudgeonly but If you asked him something, you knew you were getting the truth, uh, regardless whether you liked it or whether he thought you liked it or not. Straight shooter. So I like that. And lots of good life philosophies. I was thinking about one with you and I. I was reading some of Poor Charlie's Almanac this morning before I came here. And he's got this big thing on don't make excuses to to someone. No one wants to hear an excuse. Just apologize and get get whatever it is done. And, And first and foremost, you should try to do whatever you promise. I'm like, Man, how many excuses have I told Doug about why I'm late writing our book? Char- Charlie would not have liked that. Charlie would have. And Doug, you've reacted very well to my delays, but Charlie would not have been happy, and and he would have scolded me. So I appreciate that. So I, I won't make any more excuses. <laughs> I'll just get that uh, right. I'll just get it done.
1: He was real. All right. He
0: was real, super authentic. Like even on, I remember seeing him on CNBC, where again, I think he talked about. Uh, It was Bitcoin. They asked him about that. He's like, well, it's just a bunch of people with turds, like trading turds with each other. Again, the T word comes up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty, that's pretty funny. Okay. Well, let's, um, we're going to start wrapping it up here a little bit, but people shouldn't drop off because we're going to talk about the favorite quotes that you have hand selected here, right? So we're, is is it time to go through these?
0: Yeah, these are pretty good. Doug, do you want to read these? Should I read them trade off? What do you think?
1: Yeah, we could, uh, we. You could read them. I'll let you do it.
0: Okay. So I think this first one is pretty cool and it speaks to financial independence movement. People think Mr. Money Mustache or Jacob Fisker from Early Retirement Extreme is the, are the original FI people. But listen to this quote. This is from Charlie from a long time ago. Charlie says, like Warren, I had a considerable passion to get rich, not because I wanted Ferraris. I wanted the independence. I desperately wanted it. So Charlie just wanted to be financially independent like us. I think he had like a Cadillac or something like that. No, he had a Lexus. I know, but mm. not a super fancy car. Like Warren, he lived in the same home for fifty years. He just wanted to money so he could focus on what he wanted to focus on, which I, I think is what it all boils down to, Doug. Right? Like I, and for some of us that means working. We're kind of working right now. And some of us it doesn't. But mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I, and I think you know we. We listen to a lot of podcasts, Carl, you and I, and we'll, we'll share them back and forth. And I mean, most of the time there's something about happiness or or contentment, and a lot of it does come down to independence and autonomy. So we really don't like it when a boss tells us what to do. And if we want to try something or we want to do something, we want to do it when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And we, of course, we'll take input from people that are wiser than us but we really want the independence so we could do whatever the fuck we want at any time.
0: And I think it even changes like our thoughts on, uh, I'm trying to think of a way to eloquently explain this, but say we we work at a job and we have to work at it. But then all of a sudden we have $10 million, Uh, like Charlie and Warren, they continue to keep doing the same thing they always did after they got rich. And I think after you have the money, And knowing that you have the freedom to do whatever you want, you might be happier doing that thing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. It does. What's next? Uh, This next one is about learning and relationships. So Charlie says, acquire worldly wisdom and adjust your behavior accordingly. If your new behavior gives you a little temporary unpopularity with your peer group, then to hell with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: straight to the point that is authentic, yeah.
0: So have you ever, and I've done this in my life, like certain friends I've just outgrown because I thought they were poor influences on me and uh, holding me back sounds kind of too caustic. I'm not a, I don't soar like an eagle dog, but certain people, they weren't that great. Like, let's go out drinking or do this and this and uh, you know what, I don't need that anymore and you can't get past it, so... Mm -hmm. I'm done yeah. with you and I think that's a, a life skill knowing what a, a friendship or acquaintance mm. might be done with I think yeah this is
1: this has certainly happened probably several times but i i remember a little bit more here recently in the last few years as I started my side hustles and went more into the entrepreneurship space and a lot of my friends were more on the corporate side and they you know they enjoyed that more or didn't know that they could not keep doing that. And yeah, it wasn't like you said, um, where I was like, ah, I'm not going to talk to those people. It was just our, our paths didn't cross as much and our interests did not intersect. So just kept moving forward. And yeah, I think there's like different seasons of life and certain friends are great. Um, but maybe if your environment changes and your interests change, like you're not going back to hang out with them.
0: Yeah, I think certain people serve you at different times in life. And that might sound a little bit selfish or maybe Machiavellian or Machia. That's a big word. It's mm-hmm. a lot of syllables. <laughs> Manipulative. But it's its really both ways. If uh, you're getting nothing out of them, they're probably not getting anything out of you either. So it's best to move on.
1: All right, let's hit the last one here.
0: Okay, and this one is about circles of comp- of competence. Apparently one of my competences isn't <laughs> speaking today. <laughs> speaking well. Okay, so here we go. I think about things where I have an advantage over other people. I don't play in a game where the other people are wise and I'm stupid. I look for a place where I'm wise and they're stupid. You have to know the edge of your own competency. I'm very good at knowing when I can't handle something.
1: That's great. I love that.
0: Yeah, figure out what you're good at and focus on that. If you're not good at it, you probably shouldn't spend another second on it.
1: One, one slight little like counterpoint is it is great in some, some environments to be like the dumbest person in the room because they, they pull you up a little bit, right? Like your friends, um, they'll, they'll make you better. So from a, a business competition standpoint, yeah, like you, you want to be the smartest person, but at the same time, like you can learn from other people. So i'm I'm mixing a couple of things, but what do you what, am I way off?
0: No, I think you're right. it depends on yeah. the situation yeah. like uh it was always I always thought it'd be mm-hmm. super cool to work at a place like like Google, but those are like top tier engineers who i who were programming at like mm-hmm. seven years of age, and if I was there, I mean maybe I would have been pulled up a little bit like that, but more than likely, I probably would have been shown the door pretty quickly. Um, You pull
1: people down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would have pulled Google down. Google probably would have had a a lower share price if I would have worked there.
1: Yeah. So great, great quotes that you picked out there. And so we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here. You got some other, you got to go. So we need to wrap it up and I'll let you finish it off. And and I I was going to say, I thank you for helping us guide us through this whole episode here because I... I don't know as much about Charlie, but like I said, I'm eager to, you know, read that book and, you know, really appreciate his life.
0: Yeah. So I would recommend everyone check out Poor Charlie's Almanac if your library doesn't have it. It's kind of obscure. Like I eventually bought it, but when I went to, I wanted to get it from the library first and I actually had to like order it from another library because I think the book is expensive. So you might not be able to find it easily. But the cool thing about this book is some of it's about money and investing and business, but... Much more than that, it's about life. There these, there's these mental models in the back, like pages and pages of that. It's just a a way to think about how you should interact with other people and how you should interact with yourself and how you should think. So there's a ton to it. I think if I could, if someone asked me, what is the one book I, I need to read about investing or life or anything, I think this would be it up, uh, above everything. Like, yeah, start with this because it covers such a, wide variety of topics. And he was a modern day polymath and philosopher. So just so much wisdom in there. So much great wisdom. And I think he didn't even want to do this book. I think someone else compiled it. And the only reason he allowed it is, uh, I think all the proceeds went to charity, one of his colleges he supported.
1: Cool. Do you think um, it'd be good to do an episode where, you know, I'll read it and then we could just talk about the highlights from the book?
0: Yeah, I think that would be good. There's a lot of great quotes in there. So, yeah, we should do that at some point. Okay. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Carl.
1: Thanks, everyone, for joining us live. And, you know, if you're new to the channel or anything like that, check it out. You can subscribe or leave a review or, um, you know, leave your feedback, your angry comments or anything like that.
0: (laughs) And I've got one more final thought. Uh, When I first tweeted this, a lot of people responded saying how sad they were. And I I was a little bit sad when I heard it, thinking I'll never be able to see him speak at Berkshire. I'll never hear the word turd come out of his mouth again, which made me giggle because I have a junior high sense of humor. But much more than that, I think I was happy because not many people live the life he lived. He became a a, a billionaire, even though he says he never intended, he never thought he would get to that place or tried for it. But much more than that, he was authentic and uh, he lived by his own values and didn't take bullshit from anyone. And I don't think a lot of people go through life uh, with that kind of autonomy and uh, yeah, no bullshit. So uh, I'm happy that he was here and not that he was died, I guess. Yeah, not eloquent today, but. (laughs) He lived a good,
1: long life. 99 is great, I think.
0: Yeah, a good, long, authentic life. And he lived true to his values and did not compromise. And it so happens, like there's people like that who have- Bad intentions and bad values, but he had good intentions and good values. And the fact that he didn't compromise on any of that uh, is great. We all could learn a lesson from him.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Carl. And we'll catch you on the next episode.
0: Yeah. See you, Doug.